you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Luke, chapter 1. We are racing through this book. And uh, I, I'm going to title this message, Dancing with God, the Sweet Aroma or the Sweet Smell of Worship. I'm, I'm actually finishing up a message that we began three weeks ago, continued two weeks ago. Brenda, without knowing it, actually continued it last week. And I'm going to finish this up. We're dealing with three verses here uh, that, um, well, for the last month we've been hovering on, verses 8 through 10. And the thing that's interesting is that on the initial reading of these verses, I didn't think there was anything preachable here at all. Uh, but that's the way the Word of God is, is, is. Sometimes it can seem just sort of, you know, like there's nothing there, but when you start to mine it uh, and, and dig deep, there's, there's, you find treasures, nuggets there. So this is our, actually our fourth week on uh, these three verses. Luke chapter 1, verses 8 through 10. I'm reading from the TNIV version. It says, Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by a lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. But when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Let's pray for the message. Could I get some people around the auditorium to keep this message covered in prayer? Just sprinkle in your listening with prayer. Appreciate it. Thanks. Holy Spirit, right here, right now, we ask for you to come. Holy Spirit, right now, right here, we ask for you to come. Fill this place. Let the aroma of your presence be here. Saturate this word with your anointing and authority. Because what is spoken with simple human wisdom or authority does not build the kingdom. And we want the kingdom built. It's all that matters. We surrender this to you and ask that your will would be accomplished to make us worshipers, passionate, sold-out worshipers of our Lord and God, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 We saw uh, several weeks ago that a great deal of the Old Testament is meant to be a shadow of things to come. Uh, it was like a foretaste, God's giving object lessons of realities that were going to come later on. The book of Hebrews talks quite a bit about that. And we saw that one of those things that are foreshadowed in the Old Testament is the temple. The Bible says that we individually, all who surrender their life to Christ, they are individually the temple of God. God literally takes residence in them. And we saw that collectively, the corporate body is the temple of God. And so what we're doing is we're looking at the Old Testament temple, or at least one aspect of the Old Testament temple, to learn about ourselves. What does this shadow teach us about the reality, and we happen to be the reality? What we saw in this text, really the launching point of this text is this, that uh, twice a day people would come together into the temple in, in Jerusalem and to worship the Lord. And the priest that was selected by lots would go in the inner court. The other people would stand in the outer court. And he would light incense. And what that symbolized was everything that the people were doing towards God. And the reason they used incense is because it smelled good. And they wanted to make the whole uh, you know, uh, temple smell good. This was God's way of communicating to us the pleasure he receives from what they're doing in the temple. And our job as temple people, individually and corporately, is to smell good before God. To be incense that burns before God. That's, of course, not a literal thing where God, you know, we smell good before God. 
though I suppose it doesn't hurt not to smell bad before God, but, um, but, it, but it's a metaphor for God taking pleasure in what we do. Now, there's three main things that go on in the temple in the Old Testament, and this teaches us about what we're to be individually and collectively. The Old Testament was cent- centered on sacrifice. The people would bring the, the cream of the crop of their, their animals and the, the cream of the crop of their harvest, and they'd offer it up to God. They sacrificed it before God. And the Bible says it smelled good before God. That's what the incense symbolizes. Uh, it, it's because God takes pleasure in people who learn that life comes from sacrifice. And so the temple in the New Testament, you, me, and us together, our, our job is to live sacrificial lives, lives that look like Jesus Christ. And we're to sacrifice to see the kingdom go forward. We, we're to live in love as Christ loved us and gave his life for us. And, and so to walk as a, a burning stick of incense that is, is sweet and aromatic before God is to live a life that is sacrificing, where we give to the point where it hurts. Uh, when it doesn't hurt, it's not a sacrifice. It's, it's a giving of convenience. But we're to be people who, whether we're talking about our money or whether we're talking about our time or whether we're talking about our talents or whether we're just talking about doing stuff we'd rather not do, uh, we give when it hurts. We give sacrificially. That's what the temple does. And that smells good before God. The second thing the temple does, and we'll talk more about this as we go through the book of Luke because it's a major theme. But we pray. The people would come together, they'd sacrifice, and they'd pray. We talk to God. Uh, we partner with God for, to see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And a central part of that is, is prayer. And so Brenda, even though she had no idea what I've been preaching on, covered that whole area of prayer last week, and we had a seminar on prayer. What I want to talk about now for the next 30 minutes or so is the third major thing that the temple was centered on, and that is worship. The incense that goes up before God represents our worship going up before God, and it smells good to God. It pleases God. It's aromatic to God. There's three questions I want to answer in the course of this message. Why is worship important? What does worship do? And how do we worship? So let's start with the first one. Why is worship important? When I ask the question, why is it important, I feel like I'm making a tremendous understatement because it's not important. It's, it's, it's life and death urgent. And we'll see this as we go through this message. To get at the importance of um, worship, I, there's something I noticed this week I want to share with you. The, the central event in the Old Testament was the Exodus when God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt. And... Um, uh, uh, it, it was the central defining moment for Israel. Now, if you ask the question, why did God deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt? You might say something like, well, because he doesn't like his children in bondage, and you'd be right. You might say something like, well, he had a strategy for world history where he needed to plant his people in this main artery of the ancient world in order to have a positive impact throughout history, and you'd be right about that. Uh, you might say it's because he wanted to bring them into the land that flowed with milk and honey, and he, he loves to bless his kids, and he wanted to give them that promised land, and you'd be right about that. You might say, well, it's because he wanted to judge the Canaanites, that wicked nation that had a polluting force throughout the world. He wanted to do like a heart transplant on humanity, and you'd be right about that. But the central reason why God brought him out of, Israel, out of Egypt had nothing to do with that. I didn't notice that till this week. According to Scripture, there's something very different going on. I'm going to read about 10 verses here. Don't try to follow me in the Bible because I'm going to go too fast. But, but listen to what the, what, what the Lord says about his reason for bringing, bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt. Exodus chapter 4, verse 23, Yahweh says to Pharaoh, Let my son, referring to Israel, let my son go, that he may worship me. Exodus chapter 7 
the Lord tells Moses to say to Pharaoh, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, send me to say to you, Let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness. Exodus chapter 8, the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go. Why? So that they may worship me. A couple verses later, Let my people go, the Lord says, So that they may worship me. Rise early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh as he goes out to the water and say to him, Thus says the the Lord uh, uh, to God, uh, Let my people go so that they may worship me. Chapter 9, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go so that they may worship me. Verse 13, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go so that they may worship me. Exodus chapter 10, verse 3, Moses and Aaron go to Pharaoh and they say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? Let my people go so that they may worship me. Finally, Pharaoh gets it, and a couple chapters later, he summons Moses and Aaron in the night and, ri- and said, Rise up, go away from my people. Get out of here, you and the Israelites. Go worship the Lord as you said. Now, I'm a Bible scholar, and I can pick up nuances where other people can't, and I picked up something here. <laughs> I'm thinking that the central reason why God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt had, wasn't about the milk and the honey, and it wasn't about a strategy for world history. It wasn't about punishing the Canaanites. Those, those were all other things that God was going to do with them. But the central thing was he wanted to bring them out of bondage so they'd be freed to worship the Lord God. And that is a prototype of salvation. It's a prototype of, of, of where we are at. God brings us out of, of Egypt, brings us out, out of the, the fleshy way of looking at the world and that self-centered way of living in the world. And there's a lot of Milk and honey benefits, and God delights in that. When, when you surrender your life to Christ and you get the life of the kingdom starting to pulsate through you, um, uh, you find a joy that you otherwise wouldn't have. You find a power that you otherwise wouldn't have. You find a capacity to love that you otherwise wouldn't have. Uh, there's tremendous blessings that come on us as we learn how to walk in the kingdom. But the most fundamental reason why God saved you, and yes, he wants to use you to reach others and further his kingdom in the world, that's true. There's a lot of things going on. But the central reason why God saved you was not about you at all. It's about him, and he freed you to worship him. And the reason he saves us is to worship him. The reason he calls us is to worship him. The reason he sanctifies us is to worship him. The reason why he's in the process of washing us and transforming us, the most central reason is to worship him. And yes, there's a lot of wonderful milk and honey benefits in this, but the central reason is that God wants a people who are freed to worship him, who know, who see his beauty and acknowledge that beauty out loud and praise him. That's why we're created. That's why we're saved. It's what we'll be doing throughout eternity. Is worship important? It's the central thing. And this message you find throughout the entire Bible, Ephesians chapter 1, for example. Paul talks about all these blessings that we have when we're put in Christ Jesus. When, you're put in, when, you, when you believe in the Lord, put your trust in the Lord, you yield to the Spirit, you, you're put in Christ Jesus And now everything that's predestined for Christ Jesus is predestined for you. And there's these blessings about how you'll be blessed in spiritual, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies, and you have an eternal inheritance, and you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, and it's just glorious. But when Paul comes to sum it all up in verse 11, we find that it's not about us. It's about Christ. And here's what he says in verse 11. 
It says, In him we were also chosen. In Christ we were chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him, who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. It doesn't say that he predestines everything, but he has a predestined purpose for anything, for, for everything. In order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ, look at this. Why did he do all this? So that we might be for the praise of his glory. God is raising up a people who, who worship him, who praise him, who, who see him for who he is and who say who he is. The central goal of the plan of redemption is to free a people to worship God, to exalt him, to bow down their knees before him, to magnify him. Worship is the central thing that we are about, which means this, Woodland Hills Church, it, it, whatever else we're about, we've got to be about worship. Whatever else we're known for, we've we got to be known to be a people who just worship God outrageously. <laughs> whatever other reputation we ever may acquire, we've we got to have the reputation for just being a group of people who just kind of go nuts over our God. We just get radical when it comes to exalting our Lord and Savior. And whatever else we accomplish as a, as a, as a church body, whatever else we, however else we impact people, we've got to be impacting them in the direction of making them worshipers of the Lord God, people who hunger to worship God, who have a thirst to worship God, have a desire to worship God, have a passion to worship God, because it's for this reason, first and foremost, that we were even saved. It's for this reason that we were created. What is, uh, why is worship important? Well, it's a central thing. Now, what does worship do? Point number two, what does worship do? What it does is, is it exalts God. It, it, it is, when we worship God, we are like mirrors to the sun. We just reflect back to God the truth of who he is. We magnify God, which just means you put a magnifying glass up to something. You magnify it. You, you, you make it as big as it is. Uh, we, we just praise God. What does worship do? Well, it smells good to God, and, and it exalts him. Now, usually, or at least very frequently, when people ask the question, what does worship do? Why should I worship? What, they're, what they mean by that is, What's, what does it do for me? What does it do for me? What's in it for me? And I want to submit to you that that is the exact wrong question to ask. We are to enter into worship as though there was nothing in it for us. We enter into worship and become passionate about worship because it's the right thing to do. We enter into worship because God commands us to worship him. We enter into worship because he's God and we're not and he deserves to be worshipped. If we, if we go into worship with the question, what's in it for me? What does it do for me? To that degree, we're not ascribing God his worth. That's what worship is, ascribing worth to God. Because God has infinite worth, and he deserves to be worshipped, whether there's any benefit in it for us or not. In fact, when we worship God because we want to get something out of the deal, we're actually using God. We're actually using worship. It's a means to the end, and the end is about us. But worship only becomes worship to the degree that it's not about us. It's about him. It's, it's centered on him. Uh, worship is, is uh, it happens to the degree that we get out of ourselves and our focus becomes centered on the person and the beauty of Jesus Christ. When we live in the what's in it for me question, that's when the, what are called worship wars begin to happen in the church. 
And some of you, I bet, have been through a couple of those worship wars where congregations split because one group likes it this way and another group likes it that way. And I like it loud, but you like it soft. And I like it with a beat and you like it without a beat. And, and I, you, you like it traditional and I like it contemporary. And, and you like it Scandinavian, but, but I, I like it black gospel. And this person likes it Latino. And another person likes it uh, Vietnamese. And, and, and we have all these different styles and preferences and desires and wants. And, and so we, we, we take those wants and as a result, people split. But I got a word for you. God likes it all, and it's not about us. It's about him. <laughs> he loves it all. He's the one who created it. It's not about you. Graham Kendrick, uh, a famous or well-known worship leader, cut a number of CDs. His stuff is just great. He, I, I hung out with him a little bit a couple of years ago when I was in London, and um, uh, he, he told me this, this sort of anecdote that one time at the end of a service where he was leading worship, one person was very disgruntled because he didn't like the style. Came up and said, I didn't like a single worship song that you did uh, tonight. I didn't get a thing out of this worship service. And Graham Kendrick says, oh, I'm so sorry. I just didn't know it was about you. Uh, I, I rest my case. It's not about you. And it's not about me. It's about Jesus Christ. I may like the song, and I may not like the song, but it's not about me. It's about Jesus. Maybe I know the lyrics. Maybe I don't know the lyrics, but it's not about me. It's about Jesus. Maybe I can find the downbeat. Maybe I can't find the beat, but it's not about me. It's about Jesus. Maybe I'm in the mood. Maybe I'm not in the mood, but it's not about me. It's about Jesus. Maybe I'm feeling warm and gushy. Maybe I'm feeling flatter than a doornail, but it's not about me. It's about Jesus. Maybe I had a great week. Maybe I had a bad week. It doesn't matter. It's irrelevant because it's not about me. It's about Jesus. Maybe I'm feeling healthy. Maybe I'm feeling sick, but it just doesn't matter because it's not about me. It's about Jesus. And he deserves our praise, whatever situation that we're in. It's about him. When we get that God-centered mindset, you see, when, when, you really, when it really lands that it's not about you, it's not even about whether you feel like you're worthy or not because you're not. But it's not about you, it's about him. And when you lock in that God-centered mindset, now you, you see that it's, whatever the situation, whatever the time, it's always the right time to praise God. Uh, that you, you can worship God whether you have music or don't have music, have good music, have bad music, have loud music, have soft music, have music that, that you're used to, have music that you've never even heard before. It just doesn't matter because it's not about you, it's about him. And worship becomes worship to the extent that we get out of ourselves and focus on him. Now we're ascribing him worth. And the wor his worth is such that he, de he deserves to be worshipped whatever is going on in our life. You could have just heard the worst news in your life. It's still the time to praise God because God's bigger than the news you just heard. There are people I know in this congregation who right now are terminally ill. Great time to praise God. Uh, to say, God, you're more important than life itself. I'm going to put you up there. Some of you are struggling in a marriage. It's the right time to praise God. Some of you got kid problems. It's the right time to praise God. Some of you are living in perpetual pain, physical pain. That just bites. But you know what? It's still the right time to praise God because it, it, we're saying, God, you are worth more than all of these other considerations. Now, here's the thing. When we do that, when we get our minds off of ourselves and realize it's not about us, it's about him, that is the single best thing you can do for you. It's to get your mind off of you and get it on him. When you make the choice, this is why the Bible calls this the sacrifice of praise, because more often than not, it feels like a sacrifice. It's like, it's not what's going to come natural to you, but when you make that decision, and it is a decision, 
to give this sacrifice of praise, and it is a sacrifice. When you do that and realize it's not about you, well, you find that there's a whole lot that comes back at you. You don't worship God to get that milk and honey, but there's a lot of milk and honey involved in this. Um, you know, God created us and God saved us to worship him. You find that when you worship God in spirit and in truth, you're doing the, the thing that, that your heart most longs for. There's milk and honey involved in this. But you can't worship God for the milk and honey. You worship God because he's God. Morning is God. No, noon is God. Nighttime is God. Good times is God. Bad times is God. Happy, he's God. Sad, he's still God. Things going well, he's God. Things going bad, he's still God. And we need to say he's God. God, you are God. And you are good and you are lovely. And, and you're splendid. You're radiant. That's what worship is all about. A common problem that some people have is, is this. I, I, can, I, I can get at uh, the, this milk and honey thing this way. Uh, I got a letter this week. Uh, and I get letters like this or words like this periodically, a, a problem that people have with worship. This guy is an atheist, and, and we're dialoguing because he's an open atheist. And, uh, and, and he, he this week asked me this question, very timely. What kind of egotistical God would demand or long for people to worship him? What kind of egotistical God is it that demands our worship? And see, this guy, this guy felt like worship is kind of like groveling. It's like, it's undignifying. It's like, oh, yeah, I don't know what he was thinking. But, but he has a picture, and a lot of people have this, a picture of, of like God as this big guy, he, you know, sitting up there on Jupiter, and, and, and he's just bigger than us, that's all. And, and, but he's got the thunderbolt. And so he says, worship me. You know, I demand your worship. Tell me how good I am and pleasing I am. And, and, and so we're, we're like the little ants who come and say, oh, we worship, you know, it's like a Monty Python movie. Oh, you're so very, very, very big. You know, please don't squish us. Don't boil us. Don't bake us. And, and, and so worship becomes sort of this. Because see, if, if, if any finite being, if any human or any other being ever did that, it would be egotistical. It would be done out of need. It would be inappropriate. But God is not a big cosmic person. I just, a, a, a human being supersized. No. <laughs> Let me do a reframe here. Consider that God is love itself. God is life itself. God is goodness itself. God is beauty itself. God is the source of all that is good, the source of all that is beautiful, the source of all love, and the source of all life. God is in himself that. God loves himself because God loves love, God loves life, God loves goodness, and God loves beauty. And God is that, so he delights in himself. And the three persons of the Trinity, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they have a perfectly accurate perception of one another, and so they just celebrate each other because they are celebrating life, love, goodness, and beauty, and they are life, love, goodness, and beauty. God is an eternal dance that celebrates life, love, goodness, and beauty, which is to say God celebrates himself. He knows himself perfectly and celebrates himself perfectly. Now God invites us in on that unsurpassably ecstatic dance, and that's what worship is all about. When we get out of Egypt and can see who God is, we'll be, when our picture of God begins to approximate God's picture of himself, his view of himself, and when we say it out loud, that's what worship is. That's worship. It's just saying and singing and expressing what is true about God. And this is how we participate in the dance that is life, in the dance that is love, in the dance that is goodness, and in the dance that is beauty. 
When God makes himself the object of our worship, it's not because he needs us, it's because he's sharing himself with us. He's saying, here's life, here's love, here's goodness, here's beauty, you want to dance. And when we say yes and then, then uh, focus on him, we're simply saying out loud, you are life, you are love, you are goodness, you are beauty. Uh, it's not done out of a need that he's got, it's done as an invitation to bring us in on this dance, which is why when we focus passionately on God and get our mind off of ourself, we find there's a lot of milk and honey in it for us. Because now we begin to experience life, love, goodness, and beauty. So long as we're trying to get life, love, goodness, and beauty ourselves, so long as our ten attention's on ourselves, we're missing that. But when you, this is the kingdom principle of if you lose your life, you'll find it. When we die to ourself and focus on him, now we find real life, real love, real goodness, and real beauty. That's why in worship, a lot of good milk and honey things can happen. In worship, we can experience the sweet presence of God. In worship, we sometimes, uh, spiritual things become real to us. We stop having abstract ideas about God and, and, and begin to experience the reality of it. Uh, we find that your problems, your problems get smaller. You've ever noticed that? The bigger your God is, the smaller you're going to experience your problems as being. Amen. You discover a power for, God, a power for godly living. How to live in love as Christ loved us and gave his life for us because when we worship God, he pours that life into us so now we have something to give so we're not running on empty. We can experience it in profound worship, peace and joy. We can experience healing. We experience unity in the body of Christ as he, he draws us together. Now, we don't worship God to get those things. But if we worship God, we get those things. He brings us out of Egypt to worship him, and now we're dancing the triune dance that is life, love, goodness, and beauty, and there's a blessing that comes with that. There's a time to wrestle with Jacob, or wrestle with God like Jacob did, saying, you know, I, I need a blessing. But with, with, with worship, that, that can be a part of it, but worship is centered on God because he's God, because he's good, because he's radiant, because he's outlandishly beautiful, because he's out, uh, unsurpassably glorious, and our job is just to say that, to celebrate that, to magnify that. And that's what worship does. You see how important worship is? You see what worship does. And I want to end, before we go into this worship time, by talking about how to worship, very briefly. You worship God, first of all, with words and songs throughout the day. You don't need, you don't need to, in fact, you shouldn't compartmentalize worship, like, like it's an exception to your otherwise secular life. As kingdom people, we need to be walking in what we call kingdom consciousness, kingdom awareness. And, and uh, that means that throughout the day, you just say things like, Lord, I love you. Lord, you are good. Lord, you are gracious. You don't need a reason to do it. You don't need to feel warm and gushy. Don't wait for a moment of inspiration. No, this, do it as you breathe. Do it as your brain is working. Do it as your heart is beating. You just do it because that's what we're created to do. That's what we're saved to do. That's what we're called to do. And so throughout the day, just sprinkle in your day with, 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 with worship. Just say what is true about God. But there also needs to be times where we, that we set apart. The times that we consecrate for worship. And we need to do this on a personal basis, and we need to do this at a corporate basis. Personally, have a time each week that you set aside where you just worship God. Uh, whatever time fits into your schedule, you just worship God. And families, we encourage you to get together at times and worship God. Uh, worship shouldn't just be something we do when we get here. It's something that should characterize our life every day, throughout the day, but then having separate times as a part of our our, our communing with God, where we worship Him. And when we have these separate times where we just set aside everything else and focus on Him, there's several things I want us to remember. Number one, the focus is all important. 
The main way that we ascribe worth to God is with our attention. For the same reason as if I'm talking to you, the main way I ascribe worth to you is by paying attention to you. If you're talking to me and I'm kind of like just dotting all around and whatever, I'm, I'm speaking volumes about what you're worth to me, and right at that moment, apparently not very much. So it is with God. It's not worship if our mind is on something else, if our attention's on something else. It, songs become worship when our mind is 100% focused on him. Uh, the problems of yesterday, the problems of this morning, the problems that will still be there this afternoon, they're pushed aside. Because right now you're saying, God, you are, you are worth more to me than solving all those problems. You deserve this undiluted, concentrated attention right here and right now. Focus is all important. Secondly, passion. Worship, by definition, is passionate. Now, that doesn't mean necessarily extroverted, and it doesn't mean that you are feeling exuberant, because a lot of times we're not. But by passion, I just mean a commitment to be 100% God toward. 100% of you is saying, God, you have all the worth. And so it is done passionately. Jesus said in Matthew 22 that we're to love the Lord our God with all of our mind, all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength. Think about that. It's, it's about you, God. It's not about me. It's about you. And we, the focus is there and the passion is there. All of you is brought into it. Which leads to a third point, and that's the use of your body in worship. Sometimes people say, well, that's irrelevant, whatever's comfortable for you, but I'm here to tell you that it's very relevant. Because what you do with your body affects your spirit. What you do with your spirit affects your body. You are a psychosomatic unity. Your body and spirit and the two are wrapped up together. The Bible has no conception of a disembodied worship. You worship God with your body. In fact, if you were created to worship God, and if you're saved to worship God, that means the main function of your body is to worship God. Use your body to worship God. Command those hands to worship God, like we sang last week. Command those feet to worship God. You know, command that voice to worship God. Uh, use your body in, in worship. Sometimes people say things like, you know, let us celebrate in our hearts the goodness of the Lord. Uh, it, you know, it, it, they're saying, celebrate, but, but for goodness sake, don't express it. <laughs> no, you know what? It, it, there's a congruity between the inside and the outside, and it needs to be expressed. So the Bible has a lot to say about the use of the body in worship. Very quickly, uh, your voice, sing unto God, shout unto God. Those are biblical commands that are there. Use your voice to praise God. Lifting up hands before the Lord. Dozens of times we're commanded to lift up hands before, before God. Uh, and there's a reason for that. Lifting up hands is a way of saying, I surrender. I, I, you're, I, you know, I'm open to you. It's, you're, you're using your body to say what's in your heart to say. And so lift up hands before the Lord. Clapping your hands is in the Bible. Dancing before God is in the Bible. Kneeling before God is in the Bible. Laying prostrate on the ground uh, as your worship. That, that's a biblical form of worship. In fact, the word worship literally means to prostrate yourself. And so you, you uh, lay out in, in worship of God. But sometimes people say things like, and churches say, and we have said, now just worship the way that is comfortable for you. Whatever way is comfortable for you, that's good, and just whatever, whatever you're comfortable with. And I don't say that anymore. You may have noticed that. Um, because it's not about you. <laughs> it's not about you. It's about him. And in fact, I'm more inclined right now to say, when you worship God, make sure that it's uncomfortable for you. Uh, do, do, because if you're staying in your comfort zone, you're not pushing the envelope. 
Uh, what matters is that we worship God in a biblical way, and the biblical way is to use all of your body. And, and, and uh, there's a part of you that is maybe being held back because uh, you're not using your body to get into worship. And so God is saying, come on, come on, all of you. Yeah, your hands too. Uh, yeah, your feet. Yeah, your voice. Okay, come on, bring it in, bring it in. Offer it all up. And you'll find that something happens when you do that. Uh, just worship God in a biblical way, even if it's not comfortable for you, because it will never become comfortable for you unless you start pushing the envelope on what is comfort for you. Uh, show that God is worth more th to you than your own comfort by pushing the envelope and worshiping God in a different way. Sometimes people are inhibited. Uh, I've heard this. Sometimes people say things like, you know, I'm just not worthy. You know, I've got this sin bondage in my life and I can't get over it. And, and, and if I lift my hands, I feel like a hypocrite. You know, and if I get too into worship, I feel like a hypocrite. It's not about you. <laughs> uh, it's not about you. It really is not. It's, it's, it's not about how, how you doing on the, on the holio meter, you know? Uh, it, it's, uh, it's not about you. It's not about you. And see, it's about him. And it just could be that the thing that will give, empower you to break that sin is by worshiping God despite the fact that you're in bondage to it. You know, get into worship. This isn't a holiness contest. No, it's not a matter of, of like people who raise their hands are holier than other, uh, than other people or, or any of that other kind of religious stuff. It's just that we are here to say, God, you are bigger and more important uh, and more beautiful than anything else in life. And so we, we put you on the pedestal as we are right here and right now. It doesn't really matter what else is going on because it's not about us. It's about you. Sometimes people just feel inhibited because they think people are going to be looking at them. I feel like people are watching me when I'm lifting my hands. Did I say that it's not about you? I don't know if I, did I say that yet? <laughs> hey, it's really not about you. Uh, get over that. It, see, here's the thing. In this, in this climate, now there are churches where if you raised your hands, probably people would look at you and notice you. Uh, you know, that's where you find people who, well, never mind. They, they, they do the kind of like the, 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 the inconspicuous cuffing your hands. Like, yeah. um, hey, God takes whatever you'll give them. But... See, it's not about you. Here, no one's going to be, the only one thinking about you lifting your hands is you. And it's not about you. And even if people were looking at you, it's not about them either. So get over it. Uh, just get into the worship. Give God your all. Amen. Amen. Now, I, I want to balance that just a little bit by saying this. Be, pray, precisely because it's uh, not about you, it's about him. Don't be going out of your way to uh, distract other people. You see, so, so they're, they're, at home, you can worship however you want. Here, you know, I, I encourage people to get into dancing, to get into lifting hands, and, and just with your whole body, every ounce of your being, worshiping God. But, but, but like, if you're running around the auditorium crowing, that can be distracting. <laughs> that's happened here, folks. Uh, that, that's not a hypothetical. Uh, and so you, you don't want to be drawing attention to yourself. Or if you have banners, you know, keep them to the side so that you're not bopping people in the face or, or, or so they can't see the lyrics or whatever. Uh, you know, be respectful of others. But at the same time, don't be paranoid of others and, and self-conscious because it's not about you. It's about God. There's a young lady named Toby, Toby Olatoy. This just blessed my heart so much last week. I uh, went down to the youth where um, they were uh, having worship. And this is junior high worship, and so the kids are like 13 years old. And you know how 13-year-olds are? They're, they're intensely aware of social dynamics. If they have a pimple, the universe knows about it. Um, as in the headlines, you know? So they're, they're very self-conscious. So you, you don't get a lot of extroverted worship uh, uh, with uh, junior high kids. Usually, I'm hoping to change that. But, 
But, uh, you know, so the, the worship service is going on, and the kids are kind of like just sort of sitting there, you know, like singing. A couple of the radical ones are, are doing the, you know, this kind of thing. And that's wonderful. But Toby, Toby's from Nigeria. Uh, I, my wife and I have just fallen in love with his family. Um, she's 13. And um, so you'd think she'd be very self-conscious as a 13-year-old, especially now only having been in the United States for two years. You could understand why she'd be very self-conscious. But I walk in there, and there is Toby in the front row, and she's praising God like there is no tomorrow because, you know what, there may not be a tomorrow. This is the time. to Worship becomes worship when you praise him like it was the first and the last time you could ever praise him. Right now is all that matters. And she's there just, just blessing God and praising God because she knows what God's done in her life the last two years. It's been a miraculous thing. And, and, and so here she is. She, she doesn't care what anyone else is thinking. Uh, it's like right now, God is God, and I'm here, and I love my God. That is worship. That is worship. Ascribing to God the worth that is in Him. This is the central way that we are incense, a sweet-smelling savor unto God. And I, I, I want us to be incense here for the next half hour. I want us to smoke God out. <laughs> Just focus on him, forget everything else, and we're just going to worship him and celebrate him. We're going to start by taking up an offering. Can I ask the ushers to come forward? We are the temple, the center of the temple was sacrifice, and so this is really the center, center of our service. This is how we worship God. We don't just do it with our words. You worship God by sacrificing, and that's your way of saying, here's what your kingdom is worth to me. Here's the, the work of your ministry. Here's what it's worth. It's ascribing worth to God and his work in the world. So this is worship. So worship the Lord by giving whatever you can give. And as you're doing that, worship God with your voice. And when that is done, then we'll stand and go into a, a longer period of worship. Let me pray. Holy Spirit, right here, right now, fall on us in a powerful way. As Lord God, draw us like a magnet, a compulsion to have our eyes fixed like flint upon you. Do not look to the right or look to the left, but to be centered on you. Because you are good. You are beautiful. You are lovely. You are life itself. You are love itself. You are goodness itself. You are beauty itself. And we just want to dance with you. Because by your grace, you've invited us to. It's all about you, nothing else. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>